0: Dick Smothers has been entertaining audiences for decades as half of the legendary Smothers Brothers. Dick and Brother Tom began as contemporaries of Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce in San Francisco nightclubs, and they're still filling rooms today. Along the way, they wandered in and out of network television. Their celebrated show on CBS in the 60s was followed by variety shows on other networks. What they aired was very influential to American comedy. Much of the humor of Saturday Night Live sprang from the prior efforts of the Smothers Brothers. If you've laughed at the Daily Show, Bell Report, or Bill Maher, you owe our guests today thanks. The Smothers Brothers' contributions to comedy with a message was not lost on the TV world. Last fall, an unusual Emmy was awarded to brother Tom. The Comedy Hour's writing team had won the original award in 1969, but Tom's name had been omitted. 2009 finds Tommy and Dick as popular as ever. They're coming to Cash Creek Casino this Saturday, the 28th, and will return to Lake Tahoe in June. As a fan, dating back to their early comedy albums, it's a great pleasure to say, welcome to Dick's Mothers. Thank you very much. Dick, you guys are really busy. Your booker told me she's added 10 dates to your schedule this very week, and you're having to get bigger venues, and that, that just has to feel great.
1: What's great about the concerts is that the, the smaller towns, the art venues, performing arts venues, along with the things like we just finished the uh, with the National Symphony last weekend at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., we Three days we do. We work with symphonies, and we work in little, little tiny clubs. And uh, yeah. it keeps you grounded, and, and lets people know who don't get much that you're still out there working.
0: Yeah, how did that work at the Kennedy Center playing with an orchestra?
1: Oh, we do it about a half a dozen times a year. Mm-hmm. David Carroll uh, orchestrated our, uh, our, uh, com- uh, our our musical bits, which are to give people a framework. Our songs are like uh, the frame of a picture. And it uh, means we don't do the whole song. Everybody says, you never finish a song. We generally finish the song go, ta-da, that's finished. But we take a lot of stuff out in the center and fill the picture of the picture frame or the musical frame with our dialogue, what, however it goes. And that, that picture's generally morphing and changing and flowing with our age and time and experience and what's going on outside in society. And so our, when we have a symphony, like David orchestrated up to about 80 p- pieces, we are scored simply a lot of times is playing lightly behind it wow and then we, they come up and we do this stuff so it's really a it's a musical variety show of people are blown away that haven't seen us for a while that we that we sing halfway decent and <laughs> that the music is so beautiful and, and by the way david i dropped the name david carroll he, he was david was with us since our first uh, live at the purple onion album which we recorded in 1960 Uh He was A&R, with us, A&R, that's Artists and Repertoire for Mercury Records. He stuck with us, and he was a real good man. He was the musical director of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hours And day. He was just a a wonderful musical guy and a great person to know.
0: I want to ask about your early days in San Francisco's North Beach at the Purple Onion, uh, era of Mort Saul, Erwin Corey, Phyllis Diller, Lenny Bruce. Uh, Did they influence your comedy style, or did that evolve by playing to live audiences?
1: It's hard to say how much they influenced us, but it's like, if you like what people have, be it psychological, spiritual, honesty, uh, industrious responsibility, hang around the people you want to be like. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And across the street from the Purple Onion was, who, who you just said, and along with Nichols and May, who were the best improv I've ever seen, and uh, uh, Shelley Berman,
0: uh-huh. uh,
1: Bob Newhart, and great musical action. We used to go watch them. Professor Corey basically had no material, and I don't mean this in a bad way. He was the essence of timing. Yes. He could get more laughs and take more silences on that stage and get, <laughs> and with very, very, very little uh, uh, comedy uh, as far as the verbal thing. And I don't know how much they influenced us, but we saw success in these people. And uh, what we didn't know we were doing comedy, we didn't know we were comedians, we just knew people were laughing at us. Start. I said, well, this is sort of good. And I'll tell you a funny thing. That Tommy at the start of the Purple Onion, and that was in February 1959, 50 years ago, he thought you were cheating if you repeated any of your lines from one night to the other. Oh. And by the end of the first week, we weren't getting as big applause or bigger as big as laughs. Which we did. <laughs> the, the first of the week, I said, Tom, you know, why don't you try doing some of those things you did before? I didn't know if I was violating the, the cheat law or whatever, because we, we didn't know. And so he started doing that, and that's how we started building our impro- improv comedy. Uh, and what, the way we were very slow, we can't write like Steve Martin and all these guys and, and uh, George Carlin. We have to perform it in front of people, and they help tell us what's funny. And uh, that's a slow process, but the result is that when we do our show, it seems like it's never, it's never been written, and it's always flowing and changing.
0: Well, the, the TV world went out of its way to pay tribute to, to, to Tom with that special Emmy 39 years late. You, you were sitting in the front row as he acknowledged you, and I know viewers were intrigued by the whole thing. Uh, so why wasn't Tom part of that original award?
1: He just, his ego wasn't that big. He said, I'm, the produ- I'm basic, in fact, it's, it's Dicky's my show. I, I, he was a spiritual head. He was involved in everything. He said, do I have to have my, my name on everything? <laughs> you know, we would think, think of when Jerry Lewis was, uh, he was the writer, the producer, the director, the performer. And you got so many hats in the ring, sometimes other people are, are real important. You should let them do it. You know what I mean? Get their credit. And Tommy thought I, he didn't need the credit and uh while we were putting together the dvd which is just out you know the uh, third season of smothers brothers so uh-huh. my life has put that out with it's a really it's really got great reviews but anyway the people who were helping us put that together mentioned that to somebody in the academy you know tom smothers didn't get a uh, an emmy for that show in 1968 and they said why not he just put his name on there he didn't think it was important uh, he didn't need it and that would be a really great honor 40 years later Tommy didn't ask for it. Uh, I, he definitely deserved it. I, I, I deserved uh, writing credit, but only if I did it then. Mm-hmm. I, was more, I, was, I was not involved in the writing as much as Tommy, but we were in our own pieces. Sure. So uh, it doesn't matter to me being part of that show. Tommy was the heart, the soul, the driving force of the comedy hour, along with some very, very brilliant people Mason Williams, who wrote Classical Gas and performed that record. Uh, He Mason wrote some of the really offbeat comedy pieces. He was the moral conscience of the show. There was uh, the third year we had Steve, Steve Martin, Rob Reiner. They didn't come until the '68 season, and these guys were like Rob Reiner's Hollywood royalties. And Steve Martin, he was 21 years old. It was a big break for him, and uh, he got to be around people who were really good, and he had that natural ability to bring him along. He was an offbeat performer. Just like Pat Paulson was, they'd stand in little folk clubs and do just stupid, <laughs> outrageous things like doing, why would you do a show with an arrow through your head? <laughs> well, because you can
0: you know? made it, yeah. And
1: so they got, Tommy was around very creative people and he helped create that ensemble. That, during those three years of the Smothers Brothers show, it was only 72 shows, three, two and a half seasons, uh, they were much, much greater than the individual parts, then the individual parts became greater. And, and, but that's the tradition of, of, of good television. Uh, the Sid Caesar show back there spawned off um, Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, uh, a whole lot of writers. And uh, they could spin off and become way bigger than you've ever hoped to be. Sure. It's, it's not a competition.
0: Sure, I noted Bob Einstein, too. He's, he's doing some great work still on Larry David. He's still around.
1: That's right. That's a good show, that Larry David show. <laughs> and uh, Steve, uh, Bill Maher, when we were being honored in Aspen at the Arts Festival a few years ago, there was a whole lot. There was uh, Einstein and Steve Martin and Mason Williams and and, and some other writers. And uh, they were talking about Tommy getting kicked off and all this. And he said, uh, "Finally, they said, Dick, hey, you haven't. What? What is your feeling about all this stuff?" And I said, "Well, I said I back my brother. Totally. Except, I thought if we said a little bit less each show, we could be on a little bit longer Uh and not get fired. And Steve Martin Holler's up. How does it feel to be right? (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, we were. Tommy did the right thing at the right time.
0: Well, I'm I'm am glad that you don't have a lot of regrets. I was quoted. No, in the, none. In the, your brother was quoted in the Week magazine uh, talking about about his regrets about being confrontational. He said Harry Belafonte told him not to use, lose your platform, etc. But but really, if you guys had played it safe, it would never have had the punch that it did. Saying that as a fan,
1: probably. But you you could be right. See, the thing is, you can't go back and say what what if. And as it, people will look at the show who buy the DVD, and the bonus material is fantastic. There's even. A DVD there with the paper trail the memo CBS was sending to us and other things. I mean, there's a whole lot of levels of people that were involved in the show. Uh, if you look at that show, you're say, there's nothing outrageous about that show. fact is, if you saw Lenny Bruce, his shows today, what Lenny was doing back then, he used the F word a few times and that kind of thing. But not outrageous. But if Lenny was brought the same psychological, the emotional and everything in t- today, he would be a cutting-edge guy. Without a doubt, he would be way out there. But would we be in those those places without money? Lenny? Lenny was very instrumental in bringing in filth, <laughs> bad <laughs> words, and social intellect, and, and moving, making, in, initiating social changes. He was very much an intellectual comic that dressed it off with outrageous behavior. But uh, the Smothers Brothers showed that in those days, if Tommy had played it closer to the vest. Probably we would have been on longer, or we would have lost our audience quicker. I, I believe that if you're happy where you are today, then you can't regret anything you did in the past because it, it got you where you are. Yes, indeed. It's, it's a trail. You can't. You know, some things are necessary to, to to evolve to a good place, and some of them are painful. But I tell you, when we got fired, I felt sorry for Tom because he asked to be canceled. They could have canceled our show. Because every year, they, every, they, we were a constant irritant to them because a few of the, uh, the, the O&Os and, and, the, and the affiliates uh, were very conservative. They didn't like some of the stuff we were doing. Tommy did things that he felt in his heart were right. And the writers, there was writers that made my brother look conservative. <laughs> There's no communists there. They're just Young people don't take compromise well. That's, yeah. that's the growth process. And I, uh, Car, uh, Paul Simon was interviewed about his, uh, his, his book is really a book up at the music he wrote. He said, that's what I do. He said, I like writing more today. It's more fun and it's harder because at this age I realize, I'm paraphrasing, there's two sides to everything. Right. And when you're young, there's one side, your side. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the process of, uh, of growing. And that's a good thing, by the way. I'm glad we were where we were. And, I was, and if it would have been up to me, I would have been a teacher. I'd been retired. I would have done some conventional job. The fact that tom was my older brother and he was born the way he was and the things that our life experience brought us and moved us had we lived in any other place we wouldn't have been in show business because we were an hour from san francisco and we auditioned from college to a thing there right in the middle of the hottest nightclub place in the united states next to new york right so you know so many things are that you didn't put in place but were make it so that you're in that business and become successful and some of it's in your control, yeah. But a lot of it is a lot of things that you had nothing to do with. Does that
0: make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick, I, I, I want to note that, uh, that, that when I've gone down to the Museum of TV and Radio, they've got one in L.A., one in New York. I've pulled Smothers Brothers tapes on more than one occasion, and I just want to say it's just great to see Jack Benny, George Burns. They love you guys. They were helping you. Very fun stuff to watch. And a lot of that's available on the Internet to our younger, younger listeners.
1: I, I like the idea of our stuff being available out there. I don't, you know, if they paid us for it, it would be a nickel and a dime. You know, who cares? <laughs> uh, YouTube, they could get all sorts of things. And YouTube's such a, and I know that's old hat now, but you get a Smothers Brothers thing, and they have that little, like those, those little uh, little windows on the right that shows different things. Uh-huh. Say Peter, Paul, and Mary, Smothers Brothers, and you bring that up, and then it's Peter, Paul, and Mary with Jack Benny, and Jack Brothers and then Jack Benny. Was, you're, you're all over the world. Sure of content and stuff. You could sit in your own room and educate yourself and see great performances and, and artists that are no longer with us. And before internet and before cable, the shows were shown and variety shows, they were gone. They were put in a can. You never saw the light of day again. And so we could see all this history in the Museum of Television and Film and Radio and all that stuff. I mean, that is, it is so terrific. And, and we're in there, and we never even meant to be, isn't that yeah. You know, it's that, like that law of attraction thing that people are spiritually get into. If you just do what you really love to do, and you do it well, things come to you. And maybe that's the timing. Believe in what you're doing. And, and we were unique, and we were just perfect at the time. you know?
0: And it sounds like you actually go back and look at some of your clips, too, I'm, I'm gathering.
1: But only if I want to learn that song again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tom said something in an interview that I really struck me that I wanted to ask you about. He said that you guys hadn't performed together for, for quite a while, so he got out one of your LPs and the two of you sat down and listened to it and kind of got back in the groove. I thought that was fascinating.
1: It can be good for a, a comedian who's had a long, long time out there and that we completed 50 years of professional work. Yes. We're in our uh, 51st year now. But to listen and see if you can't Uh, video-wise, but but at least on the record, try to hear what you were communicating with your audience when you were just starting. Yeah. When you were more enthusiastic than good. But you were good because they liked your enthusiasm, but technically, you know, you mature and you grow, and it's hard to be the same comedian 50 years later, but what are you lacking? What can you still put in your act and your performance not in material, but in attitude, and presence, and presentation, that is still you. Because sometimes as you get older, you, you, you start to pontificate, and I hope I'm not doing that now. <laughs> but pontificate and become the know-it-all, and you lose that, like uh, you stand up there and, and you're, the, you're the grand old, the grand master out there. Well, if you were funny, and, and inept, and charming, and silly. Well, you could still be all of that at 70 years old. Someone told uh, Tommy had dinner once with Grandpa and, and Gracho Marx. They got together for some reason. They never knew each other. But they're both half deaf and half uh, <laughs> uh, not communicating. So Tommy had to, to yell at each one what the other guy said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It
0: was very
1: funny. And someone told Gracho, he said, Gracho, when you're young, you could be grouchy. But nobody likes a grouchy old man. <laughs> but if you harbor a resentment, it owns you and you it it sucks the, the life force out of you because if you if you if you just flip it over and says, I have such gratitude for twenty years in radio and television. And it's irrelevant that they cancelled me improperly. I have this body of work and I'm so proud and Grateful to my higher power or whatever that I got to do that, you could, you know, still create and enjoy all this life. And you're not saying, yeah, but they did this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If if someone's, if, if you find yourself being angry at somebody because they did something right, well then you, you just they just own you, or the or the anger owns you. Yeah. And with CBS, they didn't do anything that CBS corporate didn't want them to do. So we had never had any problem with it. the censors and that stuff. If they didn't do it, they'd get. They'd lose their job or they'd move them somewhere else. And they'd bring some other guy. The guy who fired us was the guy they, they put in the president out there, Bob Woods. And uh, Perry Lafferty was the head guy before. And this guy fired us because that's what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Of course, but when they lost, we went to court. They were wrong. They were, they were guilty on every single thing. But they still got us off the air. And they got a, a narrative away. And they kept us from being hired by anybody else. We're very happy with the career. What we're happy is the fact is we're still healthy enough to go out there and people are, are so pleased. Number one, our fans are the only ones that come. A lot of people don't come to have a bad time, so that's good. And yeah. they see two two healthy guys that are still performing really, really well and they're so pleased. It makes them feel good. Our audience makes them feel younger, too. And that's that's what we're there for. And they bring in a lot of love, i got to tell you. When someone after 50 years of work, still wants to make the effort to come out and see your concert. And we thank
0: them. You mentioned Groucho Marx. I know that he once said that he found a straight acting role when the pressure wasn't there, when you had to be funny, to be very easy. You, uh, you had a fine role at Martin Scorsese's Casino with Robert De Niro. And I guess my, my question is, is that sort of acting pretty easy compared to like going out on the stage and making people laugh?
1: That was, I was so nervous. Because I don't do it every day. Uh-huh. I would love to have a career as a character actor. You know, just little spots in the movies. But uh, our, our number one love is live performances. Until we stop doing that, uh, I think I won't go into. I think I'll be old. If I'm healthy and old, they're going to want to use me in the movies. <laughs> I <laughs>
0: well,
1: think it's fun.
0: Eli Wallach, you still working at 92?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I saw what's his name, Andy Griffith. Yeah, is uh, in, in a movie right now. Yeah. And it's a race movie.
0: Well, yeah, Dick, I wanted to quote a viewer from you who saw you at the Kennedy Center recently. He said, The Smothers Brothers were outstanding. They've been performing together for 50 years, and they're still as fresh and topical as ever. Their singing, playing, and patter were spot on. It was a great evening. So uh, uh, how, it's, a, it's a great review. But, I mean, I, Mike, how do, you, how do you keep it fresh after five decades?
1: You walk on that stage, and this is what we do. And I think our pride and our, and our responsibility tells us there's no way we're going to walk out there and walk through the show. They can't do it. We won't get a laugh. You know, comedy is so fragile. I mean, you see some comics like uh, Flip Wilson, remember when he was on TV? Mm-hmm. Geraldine and all that. He was without a doubt one of the funniest guys. His show was brilliant. Uh, when he lost confidence from whatever reason, in the character, he lost the laughs. But once the audience doesn't think you believe it, it's, he was still really good. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not fresh anymore. And I, I don't know if I get it. One time, i tell you what, Tommy wanted to tank the show. We followed Trini Lopez, a little club. Trini Lopez had like a 10-piece orchestra. Yeah. We had to follow, we came out with a guitar and bass acoustic. Nobody gave us a damn. And he said, I, this is terrible. I want to quit. I said, we've got to finish our contract, Tom. So he walked through the show.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But We were so hot, and I, was, I had enough skills at that time to keep the show moving. They laughed at everything. And he got off the show, and he said, I said, Tommy, you didn't do very well. I thought you were going to throw the show. That was one of our better shows. I said, ah, shut up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you're spot on. And when you guys say, why is it? still work. We believe in it. We believe in our characters. They are us. Exaggerated. Like Bill Cosby, his, his family stuff, obviously he didn't go through that stuff, but it's built on truth. Uh, Richard Pryor, his stuff is built on his truth of growing up and then, ex- then exaggerate like crazy. And that's what we did. And we still believe in uh, in that aspect. And we're also not faking our, our uh, differences. We basically argue. <laughs> we're <Yeah>. different. <laughs> yeah. We're not saying, you be, you be smart, you be dumb, I'll be this and that. Uh, I can't tell you, but we, I should. We sort of flip rules. I'm a little bit more like Tommy stage. <laughs> and, and he's sort of compulsive obsessive.
0: Interesting. A little bit. Well, in closing, five decades as a comedy team does appear to be the record. The Smothers Brothers have outlasted teams like Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello, and frankly, couldn't happen to more deserving a couple of comedians. Dick Smothers, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and when I'm back next week, I'll be able to tell you hopefully a little bit about uh, what's going on down in Honduras and El Salvador. We'll see you then.